Hallelujah. Okay, let's continue with the subject we are treating in relation to the earth. I'm going to try as much as possible to finish with this today so that we can enter other aspects of this uh, eschatological literatures that we are discussing. I want to touch a few scriptures, maybe two or three passages in the book of Revelation with regards to this. So let's start with uh, Revelation 11. Revelation 11 and verse number 18. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. And it says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for destroying those who destroy the earth. Hallelujah. The time has come for destroying those who destroy the earth. So, when you look at this, the question is, which art is it referring to? Which nations are angry? He said, the nations are angry. With who? <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, are you seeing it there? The nations were angry. And your wrath has come. Your anger has come. And he said, the time has come for destroying those who destroy the earth. So, who are the nations here? Basically here, the nations meant the Gentiles. The Gentile wars. Amen? And in this particular prophecy, it's referring to the Roman soldiers again. And of course, the anger there is the anger of God. But he's using them. Now talk about those destroying the earth. He's talking about the Jewish people who has kind of corrupted themselves, who has gone into apostasy from the things of God. Remember the write-up, I mean, what one of these churches he was saying, you, you suffered that prophet said Jezebel. Remember that? To prophesy lies and have given her time to repent and she repent not. And I'm going to cause her to be afflicted even with her children of prostitution. Did you read that? One of those churches, the seven churches, the Lord was saying this to one of those things. And don't you forget this. This was a letter that was written to the seven churches that were in Asia. So it was a letter written to a people that believed God. And remember again, I think one of these churches talking about one of the false martyrs, the person that was false killed, and we're talking about those who say they are Jews, but they are synagogue of the Jews. Did you read that? You need to go back and read Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. 2 and 3 in particular with reference or in relation to the seven churches that these letters were written to. Okay, so here we'll find that when he said the nations were angry, he's talking about the Roman soldiers, and talking about those who corrupt the arts. He's talking about the Jewish system, the, the priesthood, and all of that. You see, at a stage you find that um, to God, Israel was prostituting uh, against God. In quotes. Right? Because they were mixing up their modeling up, they were no longer who God intended them to be. And so God was speaking here when he said he wanted to come to destroy the earth. He's talking about destroying the system of the Jewish order. He's not destroying the physical earth that you and I were living in. Now, if this is written some 2,000 years ago and God said he's coming to destroy the earth, why is the earth still in place if that is what it meant? Hallelujah. So here we find again that the earth here refers to the Jewish world. 
Those were the leaders and the apostles people of that world, the Jewish people. They were once the holy people. Now they have sinned and will be destroyed. Right? So, we know that it's not talking about a tomorrow thing. The nations are angry. The wrath of God has come. Not tomorrow. He was speaking to a people. He was intended to destroy a system that was now rebelling against him. Always have this in mind about what Jesus was speaking to the Jewish people in Matthew 23, Matthew 24. In the word, he was entering Jerusalem and began to cry. I mean, from about that. And he said he was crying and then gave this, the, the, the parable of a hand that was supposed to gather out. He said, I desire to gather you like a hand will gather, but you refuse, you rebel against my protection. Meaning, because they rebel against protection, their protection has been taken away or it's no longer there. And who are the people to come in at this time? The Roman soldiers, like I keep saying. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? So that is precisely what that passage is talking about. It's not talking about something of tomorrow. The art there have nothing to do with the physical art. But even if you want to bring it that way, it's very simple. For those, those, some of us who want to believe on the other side, well, the earth is going to be destroyed and things like that and... Well, the people that have to destroy the oppressed may have to be on the Antichrist. So, to me, this is even good news. The earth is not going to be destroyed, but those who are going to destroy the earth are going to be destroyed. So, it's good news for me. Amen. Come on, did you read that there? The anger of God has come to destroy those who destroy what? The earth. So, if it is the people, if you're talking about the literal earth, then of course, God is not coming to destroy the earth, but coming to destroy the people that are destroying the earth. Amen. Praise the living God. Amen? Are you there? Okay, move to Revelation 19. Let's look at one more verse there. And uh, I don't know. It's going to take us to something a little bit deep now. Let's just progress. I just want to mention or talk about two or three uh, passages in the book of Revelation in relation to this. Revelation 19 verse 2. I will say God has condemned the great prostitute who corrupt the earth by her adulteries. Did you get that? What great prostitute is that? Revelation 19, did you find that? Did you find that? Talking of Mystery Babylon from Revelation 18 down to 19, it's actually dealing with Mystery Babylon. Amen? And Mystery Babylon, often we have uh, taken it to mean um, the system of the world. Fine, there's nothing wrong with that. We can actually... Uh, typify that we can say well it symbolizes that it stands for that system of the world economy of the world but in the true sense mystery Babylon is Judaism the people of Israel is the great Babylon one thing is this the world did not know God so the world cannot prostitute against God do you understand that? Are you following me at all? Hallelujah. The prostitution, the great prostitute here being referred to is actually Israel. It's, you see, that will take you back to Hosea. That was asked to marry a harlot. Can you get that? Good. The world doesn't know God, so how are they going to prostitute against God? How is he going to commit adultery against God? They were not married to God. The Gentiles were not married to God. Are you getting that? It was Israel that was married to God. And it was Israel that going to prostitution against God. So, mystery Babylon in the true sense is Israel. In the state of apostasy. Are you there with me? Praise the Lord. So, we're talking about here, talking about the earth, when you say corrupt the earth by her adulteries, it's just referring to Israel, it's referring to the system that finally they find themselves. So here we find that the earth is actually the land and the people of Jerusalem and Judea. It was a Jewish state that was corrupted by the sin and the unbelief of the Jews, 
committing spiritual adultery against God. Not the world. The world knew not God. The Bible made us understand that in the book of Ephesians. The Gentiles were without God in the world. The Gentiles were not married to God. It was Israel that was married to God. Praise the living God. Amen? So we find that this statement does not fit into any other nation other than Israel. It's not even Rome. Often people say, well, the great harlot is the Roman Empire. That is not true. Because the true sense, like, like I keep saying, the Roman Empire was not married to God. The only nation that was married to God was Israel. Amen? So the great adulteress is actually Jerusalem and Judea. Nothing to do with Rome, nothing to do with the Gentile world. They were the people that prostituted against God, they sinned against God. They were the people with a covenant that could not keep the covenant, in quotes. Amen? They were the ones that actually betrayed God. Amen? You must understand that until, remember, the first Gentile person that really came into the fold as a Christian was supposed to be Colinius. Is that all right? There was only Colinius, Acts chapter 10, that was the first Gentile person before the Gentile nation began to come in. So, we do know precisely that the people that really, really sinned against God were supposed to be Israel. So when you talk about a great harlot, the great prostitute, if you start reading Revelation 18 down to 19, you should be talking about Israel and all the nations of the world. The best you can is to bring it to the present system that we have, that the present church order. Amen? We are also coming to that level. The present church order is actually sinning against God in various ways. By a lot of compromise and all of that. Western ideologies that we're introducing into the gospel. Praise the living God. So that is just about that, about a great prostitute. I'm just trying to give you this thing so that, like I said, they're just keys. You can go back and do diligent studies for yourself and by yourself so that you can have more light in some of the passages you are going to come across as you read the book of Revelation and some of other books in relation to things like you know, the earth, the wall, and things like that, and the heaven that I keep saying. I'm trying to conclude with the issue of the art today. And then uh, next week, I'm going to be dealing more a little bit with the issue of the cloud. And like I said, we're going to be talking about things like warm wood. You know, all of those things, we want to describe them. We want to describe them and discuss about them. Okay, let's get down to Revelation 20, verse number 9. Revelation 20, verse number 9. There it says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They march across the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of God's people. Note that very well. The city he loves. Note that very well. But fire came down from heaven and destroyed them. Amen. Hallelujah. Now I want you to know this. Uh, in the course of this teaching, we're going to do a section on the millennium reign. Now, now from the millennium reign, uh, if you go by what the future it teaches, it's something that's going to happen when Jesus comes again. Well, permit me to say here, that if you go to the book of Matthew, Jesus said, no man can, let me just paraphrase it, boggles a man's house, except he fails to what? Bind him. I mean, I feel remember that. Jesus said that. 2,000 years ago, Jesus bound Satan. It's not his second coming that is going to bound him. And when you talk about millennium, and they talk about a thousand years, the book of Psalm, the Bible tells us that a cattle on a thousand hill belongs to the Lord. So it means, outside of the thousand hill, any other cattle doesn't belong to God. Is that what it means? <laughs> Are you getting that? 
When we're going to deal with the issue of the millennium, I will explain that to you. But that is the way we think. Because if the Bible says a cattle on a thousand hill belongs to God, that means after you finish counting a thousand hill, there are many cattle belongs to who? So you don't count millennium with one, two, three in a figurative sense. No, it's a symbolic language. Is that all right? Good. I'm going to explain that when we're going to deal with the issue of the millennium. But the futurist thing has to do with something about 1,000 years time to come and after that Satan will let loose. Can I explain something to you? Jesus bound Satan and with truth you can stand on the ground of your freedom. But when delusion comes to your life, when deception comes to your life, you let Satan loose again. So you bind and loose and bind and loose and bind and loose. That's what's going on. Hallelujah. Satan was bound 2,000 years ago. It's not his second coming that's going to bind him. You are the one that lose Satan, not God. And, and sometimes, <laughs> look at your King James. The Bible says he was bound with chain. How many of you remember that? If you read the Bible. Now, can you picture somebody getting chain? You know what a chain is? Using metal to chain a spirit. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, but what I really want to deal with here is Gog and Magog. That's my attention here. Until we go into the millennium, then we'll be dealing with that. But just let me explain something about Gog and Magog here. What is Gog and Magog? Often and again, I remember when I was young in the faith, yes, I, I see people talk about Russia. I see people talk about, you know, basically we're talking about Russia, Turkey, and all of that. That this is what Gog and Magog means. In relation to Israel. They are going to come and invade Israel. Uh, but I did a, a little bit of research on this word. Um, there are some things I want to make you see in this particular passage. In the rabbinical writings, rabbis, rabbis, rabbinical writings. You see, most of their account is full of this word, Gog and Magog. Most of them. But there is something very interesting here that I found. For instance, uh, there's a book called Jerusalem Targum, okay? And then uh, we have uh, Jonathan ben Uzziah. They use that word so much. But there is something very interesting that I discover going through some of those writings, the rabbinical writings. How many of you know in the book of Numbers, um, chapter 11, we have a story where Moses called the people so that he would pray for them. How many of you remember that? And then two men didn't come, all right? When they called the elders to pray for them. Two people didn't come, but the spirit rested on them and they began to prophesy. And Joshua had to come to report to Moses that they didn't come and yet they are prophesying. And I have to ask them to stop prophesying. I mean, if you remember that story, Numbers chapter number um, 11. Numbers 11, you can get that. But what we're going to read is verse number 26. Numbers 11 verse 26. Right. And here we find that there were two men left in the camp. The name of one was Eldad. The name of the other was Meldad. And on them the spirit of prophecy rested. Okay. Now I want to give you what they prophesied that prompted Joshua to come and say you stop prophesying because you didn't come up to the temple or to the tent where Moses was laying hands on people. Or speaking and prophesying on people. You were not there. That they get two prophecies, one each, that are murdered, one each, and then two of them jointly prophesied again about something. And this is what I want to read for you. First of all, Eldad gave this prophecy. This was the prophecies of Eldad. Behold, Moses the prophet, the scribe of Israel, shall be taken from this wall, and Joshua the son of Nom, captain of the host, shall succeed him. That was the prophecy of Eldad. Okay? Now, the prophecy of Meldad goes this way. Behold, where shall arise out of the sea and be a stumbling block to Israel? I mean, if you remember what quails means, manna, is that okay? What they were eating in the wilderness? Okay, now, that was the prophecies of Meldad. Now, two of them gave these prophecies together. In the very end of time, Gog and Magog and their army shall come up against Jerusalem 
and they shall fall by the hand of the king Messiah. And for seven whole years shall the children of Israel light their fires with the wood of their warlike engines. And they shall not go to the wood nor call down any tree. This was a prophecy of both of them. God and Magog shall come against Israel. And the Bible says at the end of the day, they shall be defeated. And because they are going to come in so much chariot and things like that, they were saying, it's like the wood of their chariot. They're going to be so much that Israel will have no need to go get wood. They're going to be using the wood of their chariot to cook. That was the prophecy that both of them gave. But the key thing I'm pointing to you here is the word Gog and Magog. So Gog and Magog was um, a symbolic language. It was not a new word in the book of Revelation. Is that okay? Now I'm going to make you see where even Ezekiel used the same word. Gog and Magog. Now if you understand that, you will know precisely what Gog and Magog stands for and who they were gathering together to fight. So that it will not be like it has to do with Russia, it has to do with Turkey, it has to do with something. No, no, no. In simple summary, Gog and Magog means every evil force against the body of Christ. Not one particular nation on the face of the earth. Now, let's read something from the book of Isaiah, Ezekiel 38. I want to read uh, a few passages here. Isaiah 38. Uh, let me read from verse 14. I'm reading from the NIV. Isaiah 38, verse 14. Praise God. Are we all there? Therefore, son of my prophet, I say to God, this is what the sovereign law says. In that day when my people Israel are living in safety, will you not take notice of it? No. You see, this kind of story. Can you, can you picture the same picture as it were uh, or language that God used for Satan in the book of Job? Have you considered my servant Job? You know, the, the same thing. Hey, you God. Can you, can't you see that Israel is living in peace, as the case may be? Amen? Alright, verse 15. You will come from your place in the far north. You and many nations with you. All of them riding on horses. A great horde. A mighty army. Verse 16. You will advance against my people Israel. Like what? A cloud that covers the land in days to come. Oh God. I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. Let me explain here. Watch this. God said, I am the one bringing you. Is that okay? This God against people, against my own people, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. And he said, you're going to come like what? Like a cloud. Now you can begin to understand the same language that Jesus used in the book of Matthew. Is that okay? When the Son of Man shall come, what? In the clouds of heaven. It's not talking about this. It's talking about the people. And that's what I explained to you before. The cloud of heaven, quick, Jesus came to Jerusalem where the Roman armies. Here it was Gog and Magog that were coming as cloud to wish people to Jerusalem to God's own people. And he is the one sending them. Therefore, they were his armies. In quotes. But there is something here you need to understand. He said, by the time I finish using you to do what you think you are doing, but the truth says, you are not the one, I am the one, I am going to turn against you. And that in nature, we see my righteousness. The same thing he spoke to Pharaoh for this purpose. Are you getting that? Have I had in your heart that I might pull the children of Israel what? in captivity and will not let them go? But I might show my strength or power to oh, come on. The same language. But the coming of these people referred to as what? A cloud from the far north. So it's not talking about Russia, it's not talking about any other nation on the face of the earth coming to invade Israel. I'm gonna make you see this because if you look at the book of Maccabees. I think Maccabees, 4 Maccabees chapter 3, be able to see precisely part of what this Gog and Magog is all about. 
the Maccabees is one of the books and it's one of the families of, of a group of people, just like we have the, what I would call it now, the, uh, the Essenes, the Maccabees, and you have different said then. These are people who felt they have to stand for the truth, they have to fight the Roman armies and things like that. You know, they have to fight Antiochus, you know, which uh, Daniel referred to. So there are books called the book of Maccabees, Maccabees 1 and 2, and several other books like that. You can find most of these books. Uh, normally, it's not included in the 66 book because it felt it's not inspired books. But these books, we are more or less like historical books. Okay? But they have some accounts because of the life they lived, you know, and the thing they believe in. But there are books written by them. And book like book of Baruch. Baruch was described in the days of Jeremiah. He wrote some books. You know, but the third, they were not inspired books, so they are not part of the overall uh, book that we are using, which is called the 66 books. Is that all right? But you have things like Baruch, you have things like Maccabees, and several other ones. They are there. Okay. So, uh, just to make you see that. Now, if you really want to see some of those books, which you may not bother about because after all, the 66 book, you can't even finish reading it. So add another one. But, <laughs> but in case you want to make some references, if you have, you can be able to get one Bible translation. It's called the Jerusalem Bible. I have a copy of that. You can see all these books I'm talking about there. The apocryphals and all of them, they are, they are all there. Okay. So sometimes I read a little bit off your 66 books. I nearly need to go a little bit deeper. Okay. All right. Now, Verse 17. So we said, remember God is still speaking. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Are you not the one I spoke of in my former days by my servants, the prophet of Israel? Wow. It's like this is, <laughs> this has some connection with what we've just read. The elder that murdered. Does that make sense? <laughs> Basically saying that. Is it not, come on, is it not you that I make reference to? In time past, in relation to Israel, by the prophets, an elder that murdered the major pronouncement that God and Magog begins to come against Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Okay. At that time, the prophets said for years that I will bring you against them. Can you get that? Okay, verse 18. This is what will happen in that day when God attacked the land of Israel. My hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. Verse 19. In my zeal and fury wrought, I declare that at that time there will be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. Verse 20. The fish of the sea, the birds of the earth, the beasts of the feet, every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountain will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall to the ground. Amen. Verse 21. I will summon a sword against Gog. The story is changing here. Did you get it now? I will summon a sword against Gog. On all my mountains, declare the sovereign Lord. Every man's sword will be against his brother. I will execute judgment upon him with plague and bloodshed. I will put down torrents of rain, hailstone, and burning sulfur on him and his troops. And on the many nations with him. Verse 23. And so I will show, look at that, my greatness and my what? Holiness. And I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am what? The Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So basically, like I said, these prophecies actually have been regarded as a conflict of the Maccabees with Antiochus in prophecy. Alright? The invasion and the overthrow of the Chaldeans and the temporary success and uh, the destruction of the Turks who invaded Israel. In prophecy, most people feel it was actually that battle. Alright? Okay. But if you look at that very closely, level 16, say, when I shall be sanctified in thee or when I overturn thee, my God, you know, this is also seen as um, the defeat of one Lysias. Lysias. L-Y-S-I-A-S. You know, uh, 
under his general, the defeat of the troop under the general Lysias when he came to invade Israel at the end of the, of the day. They come to invade quite all right, for sure. But the Lord, the Bible said, turned the whole thing around. So if you look at uh, first, uh, Maccabees chapter 3, verse 32 and 33, and then you look at Ezekiel chapter 6, verse number 6, you're able to see some of these things that I'm talking about. So, but when he said, I will show my greatness in thee, my holiness, and my righteousness, and nations we know. And that takes you back to exactly what we're saying in the book of Exodus 9 and verse 16. God speaking to Pharaoh, I'm going to show my greatness through thee. Amen? Hallelujah. The same picture. Now, one thing I want to make you see is this. As you're going through this class, please listen to this. Most of the prophetic words that you find in the New Testament, they have their root in the Old Testament. Is that okay? They have their root there. So if you truly want to have a clear understanding of some of the things that, especially the languages of Jesus, in the book of uh, Matthew, in particular 24, you need to go back and check up a few things. I don't have the time yet to begin to deal with the issue of... Uh, Maybe Revelation 11. If you read that, you're going to be talking about the two olive trees, the two witnesses. You know, you know the two olive trees, he's just talking about Zerubbabel and Joshua in the book of Zechariah chapter 12. You see? Most of the things you find in the book of Revelation, they have their root in the Old Testament. Alright? For me, when the Bible talks about in Revelation 11... Uh, the two olive trees, the two weaknesses that appear upon the face of the earth and things like that. And uh, sometimes people are talking about and they say how to do with the resurrection of Moses and Elijah because they said they showed them the rain and they caused miracles to happen and things like that. These things were all symbolic of the power that was going to flow from the apostles and the prophets who are supposed to be the foundation stone for the church. That's what he's standing for. Because if you look at Ephesians 2, he said the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophet Jesus Christ being what? The chief cornerstone. So the apostles and the prophet of the New Testament are actually the two witnesses of the new order. Amen? Those are the two olive trees. Praise the living God. That are standing before the gods of the earth. No. We don't have time to deal with all of that. Just give you those keys. You go and read as well. So that you can find some things for yourself. Praise God. Amen. So here we are seeing here. Gog and Magog have nothing to do with that which is going to come in the future. That's what I want to point out here. Is that alright? It's a prophetic word against Israel. Praise the living God. And it's a symbolic of the same destruction that came to Israel in AD 70. Praise the living God. Amen. So, uh, okay. So here we're dealing with Revelation 20, verse number 9. So the eight here, more generally referring to the place of the nations, the prophecy is involved. I mentioned that to you before. As a major key, anytime you're reading the prophecy and you're looking at the word else, you should be able to find out in relation to who God is talking to, what place is it referring to, and all that. It's not talking about your globe. Is that all right? Praise the living God. Okay. So we find that God and Magog here, we're talking about the earth here that God and Magog is coming to evade, basically has to do with Israel. God and Magog in this instance has to do with the Roman armies again. And that the four corners of the earth is very obvious that has to do with the complete occupation of the Roman armies around the whole of Jerusalem. Symbolically speaking. They occupied everywhere in the course of evading Jerusalem. Amen? Je that's Palestine. So, that is precisely what this place is uh, talking about. It's not talking about something that is coming tomorrow. So, we find that here, the Romans were the forces of paganism represented by that symbolic name of God and Magog. Just like the Gog and Magog invaded, like we find in the book of Ezekiel, is the same principle. And don't you forget, like I said, Eldad and Medad gave the prophecy, even in the book of Numbers, chapter 11 as well. Amen? Praise the living God. Are you there? 
Okay. Another way you can put this in picture is the invasion of the church of God by evil forces. Just like I said before. But then, even if you bring it in that perspective, you find that to us, after God, God have used Gog and Magog to kind of invaded Israel in the book of Ezekiel, what happened? It destroyed them. So there is no evil. And this is where the Bible says, God is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. But that is not to say the gate of hell will not advance towards it. The point is, it can prevail. I don't know if you are getting this. So there is an invasion, but there is no ability for the gate of hell to do what? To prevail. That's what we are saying. So there is a constant and a continuous victory for the body of Christ and for you and I in the name of Jesus Christ. At any point in time, no matter the nature of the power, no matter the nature of demonic powers that want to you know, invade your life, there is victory for you in Jesus' name. That's the key thing. So the gate of hell cannot prevail. And you need to see that. And for there's a need for you to take a man back to the children of Israel, even in Egypt. Right? The Bible said the more the past they cooled them, the more they grew. That's the principle. No matter what happens. Against the church, the church will still be prevailing. No gate of hell can prevail against the church. The church that Jesus Christ is building on the face of the earth will stand the test of time. The kingdom will overcome. And become a mountain that will definitely fill the whole world. No force can stop it. Therefore, no force can stop you. Hallelujah. Okay. So... We are saying by the word of God, through the spirit of Christ indwelling every believer in Christ, there is no power in creation that can overcome you or overcome the church. They can advance, but they can prevail. Amen? Praise the living God. Okay, let's take uh, maybe one more scripture tonight or two, and then we can be done. Revelation 20 verse 11. So I want to do with two more scriptures here on the issue of the earth. Revelation 20 verse 11. I mentioned this in a few weeks ago in one of our Sunday services. Verse 11 and he said, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was no place found for them. How many of you can remember that message? Amen. Who is he sitting on the throne? It's Christ himself. How many of you remember the Bible made us to understand that he sat on the throne of David or the throne of God, if you will, after his resurrection from the grave. The resurrection brought him to the throne. How many of you remember that? Now, just begin to picture that. And he said the earth and the heaven fled from his presence. What was that supposed to mean? Okay. So, if the earth and the heaven fled from the presence of he who sat on the throne, then there should be no air, no heaven. Because the Bible said there was no place found for them. They all disappeared. But he are still on the earth. So which one fled? <laughs> Hallelujah. We are saying, as soon as Christ ascended to the throne of his glory, then the heavens and the earth of Judaism disappeared. The ruling class, as soon as the temple was destroyed, the ruling class, the Levite, the priesthood, and the people that were going by the law all vanished. I'm not familiar about what Hebrews chapter 8 said. That which is about. Is that okay? It's ready to do what? To vanish away. And so when he said there was no place found for them, that's exactly what he's talking about. No more place for Judaism. For rituals, for ceremonies, for sacrifices in the temple. No more. Because basically the temple was destroyed and as long as that had been destroyed, no more. Now, this is where it's a little bit difficult for some of us to listen to some messages when people begin to preach and say, well, God is going to build... A temple in Israel, 
And people are even looking for the, the Haifa, the arches of the Haifa. In other words, they want to restart all over the Levitical priesthood. They want to start looking for the genealogical books and begin to appoint uh, Levites and start all over again what Moses did. And you see a lot of people donating money to that. That's deception. You can't trace those genealogies. The books were all born. They were all in the temple. Everything went off. Hallelujah. I know you find your time to read the book of Jeremiah. Maybe I'm going to share that with you sometime again. Uh, but I remember I shared something along that line some years back about your name written in heaven. How many of you remember that? Amen. You know the book of Jeremiah. He said, those who stray from me, Jeremiah, I think Jeremiah 23. He said, those who stray away from me, their names are written on the earth. So your name can only be written on earth or written in heaven. That's all. How is your name written on the earth? You are not part of God. Say, those who stray away from me, those who forsook me, their names are written on the earth. Then if you are in God, your names are written in heaven. There are two people existing. So as we born the image of the earth, we shall also bear the image of what? The heavenly. So once you begin to bear the image of the heavenly, your name is written in heaven. You don't have to die to find your name there. Your name is already there. I can show that to you from the scriptures. So when Moses begins to say, hey, listen, if you will forsake these people, then blot out my name. In other words, don't count me to be part of the people you have chosen to be your people. Paul was writing, I think, in the book of one of these letters, and say, greet the brethren whose names are written in the book of life. How did he know their names are in the book of life? That's what we're talking about. The other are written on the earth, are written in the book of life, which is the book of life. You're in the book of life. You're written in heaven. That's what he said. Then you forsake God. Your name is written where? On the earth. Very simple. Praise the living God. So when he said the heaven and the earth fled away, it's very simple. The self-righteous and sinful Jewish authorities, they were the heavens, and the unbelieving Jewish people of Palestine, they were the earth. Who flew away? They fly away from his presence of God. And they will find no place for them in the new system of grace that Christianity has injected or have been brought into place. There's no place found for them. You can't introduce that. That's why you can't be walking under grace and walking under the law. Because the law and everything that he attains fled away from his presence. You are living under grace. Amen? <laughs> so, Ordinarily, if we want to take it, if heaven means the place where God is living, and now heaven fled away, then God is homeless. <laughs> no place was found for that. So where is God staying now? But that's the way we think. So shallow a way of thinking. If heaven is the place where God is living, and the Bible is saying heaven and earth fled away from his presence. And of course, talking about the presence of Jesus. That means God has no dwelling place now. So heaven is not talking about a geographic location somewhere up there. No, it's not what he's talking about. Here, the heaven and the earth is making reference to the Jewish system of worship. Is that okay? Are you there with me? So we're talking about, you can't bring in, it's another word saying, um, you can't, how do you put it? You're talking about the old wine and the new wine. New wine to new wine skin. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You can't mix the two. You can't mix the two. And you, say, you can't take a piece of cloth and begin to attach it to an old material. So both of them will just rent the more. Okay? Because the Bible says, no place was found for that old heaven and old earth. So you can't live your life based on the laws of Israel. You can't live your life as a believer trying to get involved with Judaism. No. No more. No place was found for them. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. So God is not homeless. Is that okay? So it's not dealing with heaven where God says and it's fled away and things like that. Okay, let's take this one more scripture. Time is almost up. Uh, Revelation 21. Revelation 21 now. Praise the living God. 
Verse 1. Is it easy for somebody to interpret this now? Come on, talk to me. Is it easy? Now, you see, if you take time to go back to Revelation 20, you're going to see something. The Bible says, the false prophet and the devil and all those people that deceived the people, they were bound and put in the lake of fire. Did you get that? Come on. Are you there with me? Good. So what happens? Remember the devil is the accuser of the bread in the first prophet to operate to the system of the devil. Is that alright? So if all have been bound or put in the lake of fire, in other words, they can't deceive the nations no more. Now, the power of the devil and the power of um, uh, what you call false prophet, it is simply in the spirit of what? Deception. So when deception is out of your life, what is breaking forth? Truth. So if truth is breaking forth in your life, what's the next thing? A new heaven and a new earth is being established in your life. Because what really took away the old heaven and the old earth is the fact that the devil and the system of the devil, which is the false prophet, they were all placed where? In the lake of fire. So they were out of the way. So when deception gets out of your life, a new heaven and a new earth is what? It's been established. Praise the living God. Just like, you know, just like Satan, as it were, is the accuser of the brethren, even so, the law is also the accuser of the brethren. The Bible said the law accuser before God. It talks about the handwriting that were against you. You, you understand that? Good. So, that's what we're saying here. So, once the old heaven and the old earth fled away from the presence of Christ, the next thing that you see in the Revelation 21 is what? A new heaven and a new earth. So you look at that. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the false heaven and the false earth were what? Passed away. Oh, come on. Now, now, now. Can I take you back to Romans chapter 24? What did he say? Heaven and the earth shall pass away, but my word. So what is John saying here now? The heaven and the earth have passed away. So, when he said the first seven and the first head have passed away, what was the first seven and the first head? The first seven and the first head simply is the Old Testament, the laws of Moses. Amen? So, it's simply a comparison of new covenants and the old covenant. That's what he's saying. Praise the living God. So the old wall of authority or worldly authority and nature of Jerusalem, which is the four, seven, and eight, we are no more after the Roman destruction. And then the brand new spiritual authority and nature of people called the people of God, the royal priesthood, according to Peter, amen, is now being what? Established. It takes away the force that he may establish what? The second. Have you read that before? Hebrews. He taketh away the force that he may establish the second. So here he says, the first seven and first uh, earth passed away. So now, if the first one passed away, you have to have the second. So what's the first one? The first one is the old covenant with all the laws and rituals. Now, let, let, let me tell you something. I have always had this problem in my mind, but every day, it's like the scripture confronts me with it. If you look at Second Corinthians, if you take time to study that, when I was talking about the laws of Moses, you know how this complete completion, I mean, I don't know how to put it, the conflict in my spirit, I always feel the laws that were passed away were actually the, what do you call that? The, yeah, the, the ritual laws and things like that. But, go and read Second Corinthians 3. He keeps telling you, all those laws that were written on tablets of stones, we are done away with. The rituals were not written on stones. It was the Ten Commandments were written on stones. Have you noticed that? No, go back and read it when you get back home. Second Corinthians 3. He said, when Moses came, he put a veil on his face. The whole description there 
Why? Well, today with the Ten Commandments, Moses did not put a fail on his face when they were writing the rituals. It was the Ten Commandments that he collected and he came and he had a veil on his face. Come on, am I talking here? <laughs> so even that which we think was acceptable by simply talking about the Ten Commandments, they all see passed away. It's serious. I've always had this conflict, but like scripture says, there's nothing you can do against the truth. The truth is, even including the Ten Commandments, they're done away. And there is only one law. And that one law is what? Love. Praise God. Now when you get back home, take time to read it. <laughs> it's serious. Because my conviction has only been, well, the rituals, the rituals, the rituals. No. And you see, that is for ministers in particular. If truth is revealed to you, and you fail to present the truth, you cause darkness in the heart of your listeners. Moses got the laws. Right? Then he covered his face. And the heart of his people became darkened. And because the heart of his own people became darkened, there was no way they could have entered the promised land. Because the power to see light was taken away from them. And the Bible says, But if that veil is taken away in the face of who? In the face of Jesus. So when it comes to Jesus, he doesn't veil his faith. He shows you light. Now you have faith. <laughs> Are you sitting there with me? He got the Ten Commandments and veiled his face. Then the people become blind. The Bible made us understand their heart was darkened. Why was the heart darkened? Because the minister of the law closed his vision. The light was not coming from his face. So they couldn't see. And I often say this. To me, it was Moses that made them not to enter the promised land. Because how will they have been able to enter if they can't walk by the light that was supposed to come from his face? He veiled his face. And they had darkness in their hearts. So faith is taken away from them. <laughs> Are you sitting there with me? And it takes faith to enter the land. So what am I saying here? The first heaven and the first air that were taken away is simply explained in the book of Hebrews. It taketh away the first that he may establish what? The second. So now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So if the first heaven and the first earth was a people under the law, the new heaven and the new earth is the people under the law of the Spirit of Christ. Hallelujah. And that is you and I. Praise the living God. It's not something about tomorrow. It is now. If the first heaven and the first earth existed with the people, not yet tomorrow, the new heaven and the new earth doesn't have to wait. It has to be now. And you are the people that truly makes up the new heaven and what? And a new earth. God bless you and I'll see you next week.